started. We are in the studio. We were on the road last time, but we really missed home. Nothing like being home. So we're crammed together. We got our guest today, Al Hamilton. Uh, we, we work with Al. He is our product manager on CO2 plants. This guy brings a wealth of knowledge around CO2 capture and recovery. Uh, and the theme for today's episode is going to be what is CO2 capture? What does this recovery process look like? How do we go from a waste product to a usable source of CO2? And we talk about it, we brush over it like it's so simplistic, um, but it's pretty involved. And so today we wanna give you all a high level view of what it looks like depending on the source gas, how we get to usable product that you can put into your tank, into your process at home for food, for beverage, whatever it may be. And Al, we're not that smart. So, no. I, I'm speaking for you, right? I've worked with you long enough to know that I'm not that smart. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. 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 Next now, I, I don't have a job. I, that's fair. What I want to know, though, is if there's no place like the home that makes you Dorothy, does that make Al Toto? <laughs> is really what we're trying to understand here. Well, I've got my red slippers on today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm together. Nope, that's the least we can reach for the West. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to the doctor is here. No, I totally agree. Like, we talk about all these things, um, you know, all the different captures and, you know, 4% in the air and, and, uh, and uh, you know, 10% off ethanol and 99%. What does that mean? Why Why don't we use more of X instead of Y and things like that? Alan's going to talk to us at a, at a very high level. Uh, none of us want to get into the deep technical engineering aspects of it. But let's see how this works and what makes this happen. What does it take? And, you know, at the end of the day, I always like to think about, like, you know, you drive by an oil refinery and you see all these big smokestacks and you see all these things going on. It's like, what could possibly happen? What is going on inside of there to kind of, you know, pur purify our, our petrol? It's the kind of the same concept, right? I mean... Absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so, you know, we can break down into, uh, let's just get in several categories or kinds of uh, source gas. Yeah. <clears throat> There's many, but let's just keep it simple and give it two. We'll say 90% CO2 and above, or less than 90%, right? We'll yeah. call less than 90% filthy, 90% and above we'll call clean. So, you know, those are kind of your two breakdowns. Yeah. And okay. so we're familiar, right, with the 90 plus percent. A lot of our sources of CO2 today that we use in the market come yeah. from, from the ethanol and, and the ammonia. And, you know, we see that. It's these new sources when we're capturing off the stacks you're talking about, driving down the highway, I see a paper mill, right? I see a food processor. What does that look like? So I think we'll touch on the 90 percent first uh, and really understand that and then dive into why those two are so vastly different in terms of the equipment required, processing and refinement. So yes. the 90%. Yeah, well again, just a quick reminder why why most of our CO2 that we use commercially comes from those sources is because it's a cheap, abundant supply. If it's above 90%, as, as you walk us through, the process is pretty simple. Um, you know, but you get below that, the filthy, there's a whole lot more cleaning that has to go up to it. But if we're going to start removing this from our atmosphere, we're going to start either capturing it, sequestering it, or finding other uses for it, we're going to have to start cleaning up the dirty. This isn't new technology either, is it? I mean, we're talking, this is not something like somebody has just recently invented. Amine systems and, and other type of purifications, membrane systems, I'm sure we'll kind of cover real quick. 20, 30, 40, 50 years, decades of experience. It just doesn't make sense to do it cost effectively. Correct. And it's not new technology, but it is being developed. Absolutely. It's being made better. Right? And so I think that's where a lot of the research and opportunity is making this technology better, improving it, 
so that it will be more cost effective going forward. Yep, so if we break down the uh, high purity, let's call it 90% or plus, um, the way we uh, make it 99% of beverage grade CO2 is by a simple cryogenic process. Technically, it's not cryogenic because you don't get down cold enough to be cryogenic temperatures, but the idea is getting cold enough so that you can distill out the 10% remaining, which is usually nitrogen and oxygen. So from these sources that we're familiar with, comfortable with, it, the impurities are that, that distillation is typically what's needed, and we do that by changing temperature? Correct. You just need a good refrigeration system that's reliable, but it's less expensive than if you have to process filter gas. Hmm. And so your, your CO2 is changing state, and the rest of your, what you would call them non-condensables, are evacuated from the process and you're left with that CO2? Correct, you have this mixture, you put it into a vessel, so to speak, you get it cold enough where the CO2 is gonna liquid, uh, precipitate out of solution, and the vapor that doesn't precipitate out, which is oxygen and nitrogen, because the molecule will not liquefy at those temperatures, but the CO2 molecule will, right? And so the nitrogen and oxygen won't liquefy, it'll just vent out the top of the distillation column. Let's, not to go down the rabbit hole, one second, you have 90% CO2 and we have these non-condensables, but something else sneaks through there. Uh, is there like a cleanup process that you can implement on the front end that allows us to not, you know, introduce some of the CapEx heavy requirements of the dirtier CO2? Yeah, so in, in, in instances, you do have uh, some low concentration impurities, maybe I don't know, sulfurs or things like that, some hydrocarbons that you do want to get rid of so you are left with just oxygen and nitrogen that you can distill out. In cases like that, you will put some sort of uh, pre-process, maybe, maybe a catalytic oxidation system or something like that that will remove those trace impurities and leave you with just the oxygen and nitrogen to distill. Great. I'm going to dumb it down to the way I understand it best. Um, you talk about you know making it cold. So the, the solids, or I'm sorry, it turns into a liquid, right? CO2 will, oxygen and nitrogen will. So I always like to think of steam, gas, water, basically, or right? you know, liquid. You know, everything goes through a phase change. When, when water is 212 degrees, it's steam, so that's a gas. You know, below, between 32 degrees and 212 degrees, it's a solid. I'm sorry, it's a liquid. And then below that, below 32, it's ice. It's a solid. So what you're saying is, you get it colder, that CO2 will become, will go from that, that, that uh, gas, state, gas stage into a, uh, into a liquid. I'm getting these all backwards. Goes into a liquid, but the CO, uh, the oxygen and the nitrogen, at what temperature do they go liquid? So, like minus 230 degrees? So, what we do is we take the uh, mixture up to about 300 psig. At 300 psig, CO2 will liquefy out at about zero degrees Fahrenheit, okay? At those pressures, liquid, liquid oxygen or nitrogen, you would take minus 212 degrees yeah. or something like that to liquefy out. So we're not going to get that cold, right? <laughs> now, the mixture will not liquefy out at zero degrees when it has the different constituents, nitrogen and oxygen, but it will liquefy out at, let's call it minus 20, depending on the percentage of the impurities. And that's why the 90 is kind of a cap. You go much less than that, and you got to get cold, even colder. Mm. So we're really playing with pressures and temperatures, manipulating them to make sure that we're left with CO2. 
Wow, that was easy. You, he's like, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna make it easier, but I'm gonna confuse you guys like crazy. That's what I heard. He's like, oh. so thank you, Al. That's why we have you here. My pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. So, okay, that's what we're all familiar with at home. Typically today, when we're doing CO2 capture, it's really just that refinement of that final 10%. But what we're seeing more of now, as supply has begun to become constrained, as we're introducing 45Q in the tax credits, it's these sources that are quite a bit dirtier, right? And so for, let's say, a boiler process, maybe there's 8% of CO2 in the makeup of this feedstock. Uh, in biogas, maybe it's 15% CO2. And when we're dealing with these types of opportunities for purification, the process changes specifically on the front end. Run us through that. Absolutely. <clears throat> so in instances where you have, let's call it less than 20% CO2, right? How do you extract that CO2 from that mixture? Um, we have two or three primary solutions, right? There's an adsorption process, which is kind of like amine, where the CO2 molecule is absorbed by the uh, solution, the amine solution. You have an adsorption process, ad, AD, where the CO2 adheres to, let's call it a molecular sieve or some other component. Okay, and um, those are two common processes for extracting the CO2 out of the mixture, whether it's flue gas, biogas, or some other product. So we want to pass the rest, we want to end up with the CO2. Absorption is like a sponge. It's absorbing the CO2, it's, it's kind of sucking it in, is that a simple way to think about it? Yeah, absolutely. And then adsorption, like a band-aid adhere, your, your CO2 is sticking to the adsorbent and the rest of the makeup is passing through? Yeah, because let's call it, let's just name one, I don't know, zeolite. The, it has a property where it has, you know, these little fine components or molecules that attracts the CO2 molecule. And the CO2 molecule adheres to that and that's how the adsorption process takes place. What type of processes are adsorption processes? Um... So you have PSA, which is a pressure swing adsorption, or you have TSA, which is a temperature swing adsorption. Okay, in a pressure swing adsorption, at one pressure, the CO2 will adhere to the adsorbent, and then you change pressures when you wanna recover the CO2, the CO2 will be released, and then you're left with just the carbon, the carbon dioxide, the CO2. So, real quick, what, when we talk about 10% versus 90%. At 90%, you say it's a lot of air, a lot of, lot of water and moisture. When we're talking 10%, what's the other 90%? What's, what's some of the other things that you're trying to get rid of early stages? Yeah, so mostly it's nitrogen, which is you know um, common in our atmosphere. There's also oxygen. A lot of the combustion process uses excess oxygen for the burning, right? And so nitrogen, oxygen, then you have nasty stuff that's more difficult to get rid of not as high in concentrations, but you do have some H2S, you might have some NOx, you may have some other hydrocarbons that is going to pollute the environment, or it's going to smell bad, or you know it's going to be bad to the, uh, you know, for the product. Yeah, super interesting. So I, I'm assuming a lot of our audience is familiar or have heard amine, TSA, PSA. Another word that's been buzzing around when you talk about developing technologies is the membrane technology. Can you touch on membranes for us? Yeah, so membrane is just, you know, it has a selectivity to a certain molecule. So for this example, let's call it carbon dioxide, 
There's a membrane designed to only accept the carbon dioxide molecule and pass of the impurities. And so it's not absorbing or adsorbing, it's just selecting that CO2 molecule, sending it one way, and then it's sending the impurities another way. Okay. And that's what the membrane process is. So, so yeah, but when, but I guess maybe what's the pros and cons of that versus an amine system or some of the others? Like when would you use that? Um, and because that, that seems pretty simple. Like that seems like a really easy process. Why wouldn't we do more of that? Or do we do a lot of that? Is so why would you do the other ones? Yeah, is it ready? Where are we at with all that? Yeah, I mean, it's just a different process. The membranes are usually come in cartridges, you know, and so as you get more and more CO2 to process, you need more and more cartridges. So it's footprint, it's cost. The membranes are not always, um, they don't last as long. You know, so you may be changing out cartridges, things like that. It's still new, right? So as they develop, I think uh, that you'll see more of them in different processes. So, so it sounds like it's it's not scalable. If you want to double your your capacity, you're doubling your cost. Where some other systems, you could increase the capacity, but not linear uh, as far as your cost goes, right? Right, absolutely. Because in the other process, the adsorption and absorption, you have one big vessel, right? And yeah. you may just increase the volume of that vessel okay. to you know increase your production. What about flexibility? Is it Sounds like the membrane is dialed into a very specific stream coming in. Maybe it's not as flexible as, as like, say, an amine system. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Okay. So I, I will say this, right? We we understand that maybe membranes aren't scalable right now. What is, right? I, I know it to be amines. Like amines are the most tried and true. Maybe you know we have the most history with amines. So the pro being what? We can do large volume of amine and membrane isn't there. Adsorption, or, uh, you know, the adsorption, TSA, PSA, they're not there. Why are we going amine when we're handling a chemical over some of these other options? Well, generally when you have a larger uh, amount of CO2 that you're processing, uh, amine makes amine system makes sense because you already need a large footprint, right? The amine is very effective for large throughputs. Um, when you have smaller footprints available or smaller gas to produce or uh, process, an adsorption process will be more effect, cost effective, right? Um, it's just kind of where the, you know, there's a, a, a breaking point, if you will. That is, it, is it both CapEx and OpEx? So like I know on aiming, you're replacing that solution. Mm -hmm. um, is that, are you doing less replacement with adsorption? It's CapEx, it's OpEx, it's also maintenance costs with regards to you know training technicians and having technicians prepared to do the different tasks required in the different processes. Okay. Uh, my honest opinion is that the technology to uh, process carbon dioxide from these low purity filthy processes doesn't exist today. And I think that's where a lot of the push is and 45 cues and a lot of the research in developing that technology so that we can make that quantum leap, if you will, like, for example, the uh, microchips in computers or in telephones or electronics, for example. You know, telephones in the 1980s was a lot different than what they are today. They don't even exist, right? Yeah. Cell phones. So, anyhow, that's just my Well, so, you know, it sounds to me like, hey, there, there's not one solution. Right. There's no one size fits all. It all depends on the, the gas streams, your volume, the situation that you're coming in. But B, I mean, you know, kind of like, like you talk about computer chips, Moore's law, every 18 month double capacity. Can we call this Al's law of, uh, of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of carbon capture? It'd be great. But 
No, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, if, if you ever heard me talk very much, or, you know, I'm not a huge advocate of direct air capture um, from the standpoint of you're starting with air, it's 0.4%. So for everything you just said, the, the cost to do it is so expensive relative to the output of CO2. But if we ever get to our 2050 goals of carbon reduction in the overall global environment, we have to get some of that out of the air too. But the incentives under 45Q are $185 a ton for direct air capture. And, and to me, I think what that's really driving is what you're talking about, innovation. And that's where it's going to go. Like, if we can figure out how to cost effectively uh, extract 0.4% CO2, then you can apply that same technology and start scaling that up to the 10%, the 15%, the 20%. And I love what you just said. It, it hasn't been invented yet. And a lot of companies are uh, working on it. You've got, you know, we've talked with Remora, we've got Heirloom has got some great technologies out there, carbon engineering. I, you know, they might not have the grand solution yet, but that's where the investment money is going. And I think that's really important to understand. Yeah, and so 45Q is really that catalyst yeah. to drive innovation, right? That's what we're seeing. And, um, you know, we know looking back in history, it's certainly possible right. and we'll get there. Uh, but in the meantime, as we are trying to achieve these goals, as people need CO2. Yeah, but not to be alarmed. These guys out there that's working on it are smart. And they will yeah. have a solution here soon. Yeah. I know this. No, I, I, I this probably agree as well. Uh, well, and that's, I think, what you're saying. The, the 45Q, you're calling you know, tax incentive subsidies, if you will, are in, enabling that to happen. Without it, then, you know, who's going to fund it? So it's, it's, it's a it's, you know, worthy investment to find these solutions. Because we're ever going to meet the 2050 goals, um, you know, then of becoming carbon neutral, we need it. Because, yeah, but... For the next decade, two decades, three decades, and even maybe where I find out the aiming systems, the membrane systems are absolutely the way to go for a lot of solutions. But right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and we, we know today, right? Obviously, it's dependent on the source gas, it's depending on the flow rates, but you can implement existing technology and do it cost effectively, produce CO2 for cheaper than you're buying it. I mean, we know that to be true. We see it happening in Europe. We're doing it here on some of the pure CO2 and now starting to do it on some of this dirtier, filthier CO2. So the technologies work and they're only going to get better. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm super excited talking to you, thinking it through where we're headed. And, you know, I think to recap for the audience today, when you're dealing with dirty CO2, you have some additional front end equipment. When you're dealing with pure CO2, we're able, we have the technology to liquefy that and, and get rid of some of the other contaminants. Al, thanks a bunch for coming on. Um, I hope the audience back at home has learn something where they can, you know, select a source and say, I understand how this process kind of works. Um, but we can always get deeper, we know that. Yeah, no, I mean, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna put up on a, on a website, uh, Al voicing over a, a, a process flow diagram. How does it really, really work on the deep technical side of it? Um, for those of you who really wanna understand it better and, and you know, not just to get the high level, but get, get a little deeper on it. So uh, go to Dr. Al's carbonlaw.com if that doesn't exist because I really think we're going to have to go buy that URL and it might not exist there might be somebody else out there named Dr. Al that loves carbon so go to this URL right here you know I'm sure whatever wherever we made up 
We're going to go to Dr. Alice Carbon Law Hall with four W's. Four W's. No apostrophe in the owls. It's going to be all confusing. But anyway, we're going to go there. Al's going to take us through a, a deeper dive of literally, it comes, the gas stream comes off the, uh, the, uh, the landfill. We separate the methane. It goes through here. It does this. We heat it up. We cool it down. You, I'll, it'll be way less confusing than what I just said earlier. Uh, I think that'd be awesome. But no, absolutely. I'll just reiterate what, what Luke just said. Awesome. We really appreciate it. The deep dive, I think it's going to help people better understand it. Yeah, and this guy, I mean, just a smart dude. So I really do encourage you to clip through and just watch his explanation. So much we didn't touch on. What happens to all of the other impurities? Jeff mentioned methane, right? So sometimes CO2 is a byproduct of the cleanup process. Where's that methane going? Where's everything else going? We're concerned about what we're emitting, and CO2 is is not the only thing that's that's damaging the environment. So I mean, it will get detailed. You will learn something. Al, we appreciate your time, man. It's been really good. So, yeah, my pleasure. Okay. Thanks, yeah, guys. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, I'll do my best to explain, you know, the graphic so that you know people could have a deeper understanding of what it is that we're talking about. We're passionate about it. It's very important. Um, it's a great future in carbon capture. And I just want to say you got you guys are doing a great job. I've been watching your podcast and. Thank you. Yeah, I'm we, a fan. we did not pay him to say that. Absolutely not. We did not threaten <laughs> him. That's just out of the graciousness of his heart, man. But he is going to get a free carbon catching carbon uh, uh, t-shirt. Yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, what do we always say here on uh, catching carbon? You got to be in the black before you're in the green. Well, I mean that's the other thing we say. We say so. Many There's things. no place like home. <laughs> Total. See you guys.